Join with me in prayer. O Lord God, we thank you for the grace by which we have been saved, your grace, your favor that you have shown upon us, that you have brought us into, that we might dwell in your presence and uh, be, be confident before you, you who are the great Lord of heaven and earth. We pray that you would lead us and teach us this day, that we might understand the grace by which we have been saved, and that we might give you praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we come to chapter 9 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. West, uh, chapter 9, which if you're in the Trinity Hymnal is page 854. <clears throat> and it's a short chapter. It's not necessarily a simple chapter, but it's a short chapter uh, of free will. Uh, And it describes uh, biblical teaching on the will and free will, and it also uh, explains it uh, by presenting the four states of man. Uh, That man in in these four different states, uh, his will is is different in some respects in, in these four different states. The states are that of innocency, sin, grace, and glory. When was man in the state of innocency? Before the fall. Before the fall, in the Garden of Eden, when when God first created man. um, That was the state of innocency. What about the state of sin? When is. (laughs) Ever since the fall, or at least before the state of grace, right? Um, The state of sin is is the state of unredeemed man, unsaved man. Um, It's the way that we are all born by nature now until God regenerates us and conveys us into the state of grace. Now, all men um, are conceived and born in the state of sin. Some, though, are brought to the state of grace. Not all are, but, but the Christian is. And wh- when is the state of grace? When is man in the state of grace in this, in this uh, way of categorizing things? Begins at conversion. Begins at conversion and extends throughout the rest of the Christian's life in this life. The state of glory uh, begins at death and uh, is the, our, our state with Christ in heaven and then even beyond that uh, after his coming in the uh, eternal state in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, and so there's a state of innocency, a state of sin, a state of grace, and state of glory. Uh, another way to think of this is um, that of creation, fall, redemption, and either restoration or glorification. Uh, we'll see that the state of glory in some ways is a restoration of the original state of man, but it it's actually goes even beyond that. Uh, it's a, a restoration and a, uh, a glorification uh, where man's will is not only righteous, but now immutably so. Um, and we, we find that in God's work uh, generally, and then uh, especially here focusing on the individual person, uh, how God brings uh, mankind to glory. But before we get there, let's go to Article 1, which first makes a a general statement about man's will. 
It says, God hath endued the will of man with that natural liberty that it is neither forced nor by any absolute necessity of nature determined to good or evil. And so this article begins with the natural liberty God has given man's will. Before we get any further, though, what, what is the will? What are we talking about when we're talking about will? We're not talking about someone named Will. We're talking about some, some faculty that each person possesses. Um, not looking for sophisticated philosophical definition, but what, what's, what is man's will? His ability to choose. His ability to choose, yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, he, he chooses this thing and, and not that thing. He inclined toward one thing. He uh, wants to get away from something else. It's, it's his uh, ability to choose. And, and perhaps also that resolve to stick with what you've chosen, too. Um, we talk about willpower, right? Um, and kind of that, that resolve and that choice. Uh, we talk about being... Um, right, so it's a man's will, ability to choose. And who gave man his will? God. God. God made, God made man in such a way that he has a will, and God has endued the will of man with a natural liberty, that it's not forced uh, or coerced from the outside to good or evil, nor by any absolute necessity of nature. Um, and so, even though Presbyterians, Reformed, Calvinists are usually known for rejecting a certain kind of free will. They begin by saying that we do believe in some kind of free will. We believe in a certain natural liberty that God has given man's will. God didn't make man a machine. Uh, He didn't make man a block. Uh, He didn't make man something that's merely acted upon and doesn't have any choice. Uh, No, we believe that man makes choices, that he's a uh, free moral agent, uh, that he chooses what he wants to, um, and that's good as far as it goes. <laughs> but, of course, we're going to have to get beyond that into some other questions. But uh, any questions about this first point, <clears throat> that God has given man a will endowed with natural liberty? Right. I guess in the, in that sense, it's it's not a moral will, though. You know, so perhaps it's you, you could speak of some kind of will. I haven't thought about that too much, but but here it's especially in context is thinking of the will of choosing good or evil. Uh, but yeah, would it be not to continue down the rabbit trail? But would it be helpful to just maybe distinguish between instinctual will? versus moral will. Sure, sure. The animals typically just choose by instinct, where man also has reason and, and thought uh, and deliberation and other things that, um, that interact with the will in man uh, that makes him different than the beasts. So the point here is that God does not coerce a person's will to sin, for example. If man sins, man chooses sin freely. Uh, James 1 says God does not tempt a person to sin, uh, paraphrasing it here, but, but man sins because he wants to. 
You know, God doesn't tempt man to sin. He can't be tempted by sin. Uh, but man sins when he's led astray by his own lusts. Uh, when, when people persecuted John the Baptist, and when Herod and, and others you know, persecuted him, killed him, Jesus said they did whatever they pleased with him. Um, they, they, they wanted to do that. That was their good pleasure, and so they chose to do so. Um, it's also the case that God does, does not coerce a sinner to repent against his will. When God saves a person, uh, he doesn't uh, coerce him against his will to be saved. Uh, he works by renewing man's will so that he freely chooses Christ. Um, now, of course, it's, man doesn't choose Christ of his own nature until God acts, but God works by enlightening his eyes, his mind, and renewing his will so that he freely chooses Christ. And so God holds forth, here's life and death, choose life. You know, we are to choose Christ. Um, the, the question is, where do we get that ability to choose? Uh, who, who do, to whom do we ascribe glory for that, that great change? You know, we give that glory to God. But in all the states of man, um, man has uh, a, a will, and he has this natural liberty in, in innocency, in sin, in grace, even in glory. And a glory is, a, of course, a great test to whether we have an accurate view of free will. Uh, if we have a free will that, that means that we absolutely have to be able to choose evil or good, um, you know, does that hold up in heaven? Are we saying that people could fall from heaven once they make it there? Uh, no. But does that mean God is, is coercing their will or making it not free? No, man still has free will and freely serves God in heaven. Um, so, so we should be careful how we define uh, man's will. But it's, it, it freely chooses what, what it wants. Now, the focus of this chapter is different than what philo- philosophers usually focus on. Philosophers, as opposed to theologians, usually think about... How does free will interact with um, perhaps outside forces or perhaps a, you know, pr- uh, destiny or fate or God's providence, his decree? Um, we've already talked about his decree and how that interacts with free will. The, the Bible and the Westminster Confession would teach compatibilism, that, that man's will is compatible with God's decree in providence, that it's not a zero-sum game that, you know, if you give it to one, you can't give it to the other. God predestines the free actions of men, and that's usually put side by side right in the text of Scripture, like, like in Acts 2. Um, but that's not really the focus here. The focus here is um, man's ability uh, to choose good or evil, and how does his nature impact that ability? Uh, to, to choose. <clears throat> so let's move on to Article 2. Man in his state of innocency had freedom and power to will and to do that which was good and well-pleasing to God, but yet mutably so that he might fall from it. Pretty simple that, that God created man righteous uh, as Ecclesiastes says, uh, God made man upright, uh, but, but man has sought out many schemes. Uh, he's gone his own ways. Everyone his own way, as Isaiah 53 says, but God had made man upright. God made man in his image. God made man righteous. 
uh, able and willing and uh, to do that which is good and pleasing to God. And even perfectly, uh, as, as long as he uh, was in that state, even if it wasn't very long, we don't know exactly how long it was, but, but he was pleasing to God, he did not sin, but then he did sin. His will was mutable. It was able to change. Um, and we find that, of course, by what happened. He's created in God's image. God tells him not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, um, gives a, a threat if he does so, which kind of implies that there might be this possibility. Um, he's warned, but then man goes ahead and eats of the forbidden fruit and chooses uh, that which is evil. And that put an end to that state. But before that point, he was in the state of innocency. Uh, he was righteous, but he was able to fall from that estate. He was, his will was mutable, which means changeable. But uh, until it changed, it was, was good. Let's look at Article 3, which is talking about the second state. <laughs> Man, by his fall into a state of sin, hath wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as a natural man, being altogether averse from that good and dead in sin, is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself thereunto. So, who got man into this state of sin? Man. Man, that's right. That, that's the point here. We'll see that God is the one that transfers a man into the state of grace. But who? it was man who fell into the estate of sin, and he lost ability of will. He didn't lose his will, but he lost the, the ability and the power uh, in himself to choose what is good. He, he became averse from that spiritual good accompanying salvation, and dead in sin, so that he's not able by his own strength to convert himself. Uh, this would be a major controversy in the early church, the, the Pelagians against the Augustinians. Pelagius was a British monk who taught that man was not born a sinner and therefore sinned, but rather he was a sinner because he sinned. But he was born just like Adam was, and he sees other people sinning, and that usually catches on. But, um, but someone could to do good without God's grace wasn't absolutely necessary. Um, but Augustine taught that, no, we, we are born and conceived in sin, that we are by nature sinners and therefore sin, and we are not able to convert ourselves. Uh, it is God who gives us new life so that we might believe in him. And so um, the Westminster Confession here is, is siding with Augustine, and of course what we also believe Scripture itself uh, to teach as well. For example, Romans 8, <clears throat> Romans 8, verses 7 through 8. Paul says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so, those who are in the flesh or in that natural condition, that estate that man is now born into, uh, that is uh, produced naturally, that that man is hostile to God, 
cannot submit to God's law. It does not, and it cannot. And they cannot please God. Now, can sinful man do some things that externally are nice and kind? You know, help the lady, uh, old lady across the street, or, or, or even more than that, you know, uh, die for one's country and protecting the innocent. Or, you know, they, they can do things that serve their neighbor in some ways, but uh, beca- because of the, the motive, not being done in faith, um, you know, as you drill down into the, the core of what's going on, in one way or another, these are still not pleasing to God, not part of that um, spiritual good that accompanies salvation, and especially, mind, here are things like faith in Christ and repentance unto God, um, that man is not able to, to uh, convert himself, and as it says here, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Um, and so, we can speak of a bondage of the will. That was the name of Martin Luther's book on this controversy, engaging with Erasmus uh, during the time of the Reformation. I think Erasmus had written a book called something like Of Free Will, and Martin Luther, being the, the controversialist that he is, of course, names his on uh, the bondage of the will, kind of purposefully a little provocative there. But yes, that, that we need God's salvation because our will is in bondage. We're in slavery. That's biblical terminology, that God frees us, that if you're in the Son, you know, you're, you're free indeed. But before that, we are in bondage. It doesn't refer to the absence of choice or coercion from the outside, but rather the bondage of the will to the sinful desires of the heart. Man's completely depraved. There's no speck of good that can serve as a lever to propel the rest of his nature to change. Uh, It's not like his mind is unfallen, so the renewal can start from there, or his affections are unfallen, so the renewal can start from there, but, but his affections, his mind, his will, his whole heart is uh, twisted by sin. In Titus chapter 3, it's a short book, so it'll take me a second. In Titus chapter 3, Paul says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Even Christians, that's the way we once were. That's the way we were before God converted us. And of course, that's the next verse. But, you know, when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, and he goes on to describe God's work of salvation. But before that, we were slaves to various uh, passions and pleasures. Uh, We were in bondage. Ephesians speaks of us being dead in sin. Uh, John has several comments about our ability in John 6, um, Jesus says in verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So no one can. It's, it's spoken of in terms of ability, uh, that no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And if the Father draws him, I will raise him up on the last day. So we're talking about it's all or nothing. Uh, either you are drawn uh, or you, you can't come. 
And if you are drawn, you do come. In verse 45, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And then in verse 65 again, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. So man does not have this ability to come to Christ until the Father gives it to him as a gift. Uh, And so this is uh, given to God as an act of grace. And finally, one more text before we move on. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the natural person is averse to these things, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. That means the gospel, the the word that he has inspired and given, uh, for they are folly to him. And so man and his will in the state of sin is in bondage to his own uh, sin, his, his sinful desires, his sinful nature. He chooses what he wants, and what he wants is bad. Uh, the bad fruit comes from a bad tree, um, just as you would expect. Uh, does good fruit come from thorn bushes? No, it's uh, out of the heart these things proceed, and they come out of uh, man's mouth and his, his actions uh, because that is now his nature. But that's not where the story ends. Uh, Let's look at Article 4. When God converts a sinner and translates him into the state of grace, he freeth him from his natural bondage under sin, and by his grace alone enables him freely to will and to do that which is spiritually good. Yet so, as that by reason of his remaining corruption, he doth not perfectly nor only will that which is good, but doth also will that which is evil. So, is the believer still in the state of sin? No. Not, not in this format, at least. Not in this way of categorizing it. The, the believer is not in the state of sin, in bondage to sin, only sinning adverse from God, hating God, uh, but uh, he is in the state of grace, which is different than the state of glory. Uh, Even in the state of grace, there is um, the the believer can both do good and to do evil, Uh, that there is this struggle, this strife now between uh, that which is born of the spirit and that which is born of the flesh. He is now a new creation. The believer has definitively changed, and he really belongs to Christ. That is his new nature. That is who he really is, but he still has this remaining corruption that doesn't belong. It's like someone who's been evicted, but he's still there in the, in the house, and you're waiting for him to leave, and you, you need to kick him out of the house because it's time for the new person to move in. Uh, that's the way the sin is in your heart. It doesn't belong there. Uh, it, it, Christ, you have died to sin in Christ risen with him to new life, but it's still sticking around. And so the life of the Christian now is one of of putting to death the old ways that you have put off, 
and left behind, and so you need to keep killing it and growing more and more in the practice of righteousness, which you are now able to freely do uh, because of God's work within you, both at the beginning of your life, uh, your Christian life, in your conversion, and he continues to work in you to will and to do his good pleasure. So, man fell into sin, but God converts the sinner. He translates him into the state of grace. Now, we're not talking about translating from Latin to English or something like that. We're talking about transferring, bringing you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, language from uh, Colossians 1. God has done that. He's transferred you. He's converted you. He frees you from that natural bondage under sin. And by his grace alone, notice it's completely of his grace, You'd be able to do nothing apart from his grace. But by his grace, you are able to freely choose good. You are able to to choose Christ. Uh, We do believe in choosing Christ. Um, We just don't take the credit for it. But it is still an action of your will. And while your will was corrupt, now uh, you are to love God with all your will, as, as, as well as your whole being. In Romans 6, verse 6, Paul writes, We know that our old self was crucified with him, that is, with Christ, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And then he goes on in verse 11 to say, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And so he has broken that that tyranny of sin, that that rule and sway of sin over your life. Um, He has brought you into new life, that you might be a slave of righteousness instead of a slave of sin. This is the grace of God. This is God releasing the captives and setting you free from that bondage to sin. <clears throat> and so by his grace alone, God enables the sinner to freely will and to do that which is spiritually good. The Christian does choose life, choose to believe and repent, endeavor after new obedience, and choose to obey God. God renews the will of the Christian. And so that will is to more and more be trained and and established in good ways. Um, The will should be weak in what is evil, but strong in what is good, so that people can't convince you or tempt you to to change your mind or to have a a, uh, lack of nerve, you know, to to shrink back from doing what is right. Uh, There is a a good willpower uh, when it is directed toward the right thing. And so the Christian is, is in a process then of um, renewing his uh, will, uh, doing that which is right with it. And that's a fruit of God's work within him. Uh, so Philippians chapter 2 describes this. <clears throat> Verses 12 through 13. 
Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Uh, so God is continuing to be at work within you, to will, that, that you might will and do uh, his good pleasure. Interestingly, it's the same epistle at the beginning of it, in verse 6, where he had said, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, he began this work so that you began to, uh, to, to will and to do his good pleasure, and he is continuing this work. And he's going to bring it to completion, and that's going to be the state of glory, which we're going to talk about here in a second. But some corruption remains in the Christian in the state of grace. Because of that corruption, he doesn't perfectly will that which is good, and he doesn't only will that which is good. He also wills that which is evil. Uh, And this conflict exists throughout this life. Uh, And that is the condition of the state of grace. Galatians chapter 5 describes this conflict. There it says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You have this delight in the law and your inner being, but sometimes you don't do it. Uh, There is this this struggle within uh, the Christian, Paul describes in Romans 7 as well, uh, in which we ought to therefore be uh, putting off the ways of the flesh, which he goes on to describe, and putting on more and more the ways of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so this corruption that remains in the Christian, it is pardoned, it is progressively mortified, uh, but it's always present in the state of grace. And so we are at war. This uh, passion, these passions wage war against your soul, seeking to destroy you, but we have one who is greater uh, on our side, who gives us the victory, and so we march forward uh, confidently, killing and putting off the old ways of sin, uh, repenting uh, in, in sorrow and grief at, at our sins, and putting on the new ways of righteousness, and longing for, looking for the next state, the state of glory. So let me read the final, very short paragraph, paragraph 5. The will of man is made perfectly and immutably free to good alone in the state of glory only. So in the state of glory, and in the state of glory alone, the will of man is made perfectly and immutably free uh, to good alone. Hebrews 12:23 describes the, the spirits of the righteous made perfect that are in heaven. Um, even now, these, these souls, these spirits uh, of the departed are made perfect in holiness and righteousness. Uh, this state of glory begins at, uh, at death and uh, continues on in the uh, time to come when Christ returns. Man's will will retain its natural liberty. Man will still do what he wants, 
but he will have an unchangeable desire and will to that which is good. So the state of glory begins for the saints at, at death and continues with the coming of Christ, and it is a state in which we serve God as we in, were intended to, uh, in the image of God, with righteousness and holiness, uh, freely serving him uh, as those who want to do it, who have their nature renewed, and in a way that is unchangeable, forever, eternal. And that's the state to which we long for. That is the great uh, freedom uh, from bondage and corruption that we long for. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the direction that you give us for bringing us out of death into life. We pray that you would continue this work among those who have not experienced it, that you would renew sinners, that they might uh, freely and joyfully uh, follow you, to, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust in him and to serve him. We pray that you would continue to strengthen us in the ways of righteousness, to lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. We pray that you would strengthen that resolve. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.